Hi, I am Martin and this is Words That Change You. Words fly all around us. Kind words, silly words, angry words. And they do so all day long. But how often does something written or spoken really feed our souls? Wouldn't it be nice if beyond the noise we could listen to words that make a difference? In Words That Change You, we will speak with artists, monks, business people, housewives, all kinds of folk, and see whether we could not glean some nuggets of wisdom to feed on. At other times, we will simply examine a piece of wisdom we stumbled upon. Tune in and be surprised. Minimalism. I follow a weekly design podcast, and in a recent episode, the presenters discussed minimalism, an art form which became popular in the 50s and 60s of the last century. Since then, Scandinavian designers have used this style in the way they outfit rooms, museums, or offices. In many ways, the movement subscribes to Einstein's mantra, everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. But more recently, minimalism has also become a lifestyle adopted by people who have grown tired of possessions and clutter, especially in Western countries. This is not very surprising. The average American household possesses more than 300,000 items. In the UK, one study found that children have an average of 238 toys, but only play with 12 of them on a daily basis. Some of us are also familiar with Marie Kondo, a Japanese woman who has become popular as an, quote, organizing consultant. She has written books, and the whole Netflix series is dedicated to her method. Basically, she helps people organize their overfull closets and dressers, and now she even sells special organizing boxes and dividers. A whole raft of minimalist blogs have sprung up, all intended to give advice about how to make our lives more meaningful by being less centered on possessions and more on relationships and experiences. One woman has developed the 333 challenge, during which one wears only 33 clothing items for three months. Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, the initiators of The Minimalists, a podcast and website, put it as follows, quote, Love people and use things, for the opposite will never work. End of quote. While I'm intrigued by all these developments, I'm not totally surprised. Not only are people increasingly dissatisfied with materialism, environmental concerns have also brought to everybody's attention that at the current rate of consumption in the West, an ecological disaster seems inevitable. Not only do material possessions require an inordinate amount of energy to maintain, but digital tools and inputs have also produced a level of distraction which for some people, especially teenagers, has reached pathological dimensions. Thus, it does make sense that various authors advocate digital decluttering in order to achieve greater mindfulness. As an urban monk, none of these ideas are particularly new. Many years ago, my brothers and I agreed on a maximum number of clothes we will own. 
Once a year, we organize a purge, where we bring our wardrobe in line with those requirements, and the rest goes either to brothers if they need something, or to the charity shop. We also spend a Saturday going through our tools, sports equipment, and, alas, kitchen utensils, to see what we really use and what is only there in case we might need it someday. Every time we undertake that exercise, there's a certain ruthlessness required to get rid of favorite sweaters, carving knives, or hedge clippers. On some of those occasions, we reread the story of the Desert Fathers, monks who left their cities and set up shop in the desert of Egypt in the 3rd century. One monk visits another, but does not find him in his cave, so he goes looking for him and finds his friend a bit further up the mountain, where he carefully polishes a collection of rocks. The irony of the story is obvious. Here is a man who has forsworn all earthly possessions, yet finds himself attached to worthless stones. Overall, the commitment to simplicity my brotherhood has espoused is not particularly onerous. Except at the moment when I get rid of my favorite tie, I and all of my brothers find great freedom in not being tied to possessions. For the past 40 years, I have received and given virtually no Christmas gifts, yet the feast has only grown in significance. Similarly, we have a decision to not look at emails before morning prayers or after night prayers, thus maintaining what we call a sacred space. And during common meals, smartphones are supposed to stay in our pockets or on our desks, although there are regular trespassers who need to check the weather report during breakfast. Is such a lifestyle only applicable to monks? My previous family doctor had built himself a house in the style of a Scandinavian log cabin. One night, while he and his family were asleep, a fire broke out and they had to run outside only wearing the pajamas and watch the whole house burn to the ground before the fire service could arrive on the scene. Believe it or not, my doctor said, this was the best thing that ever happened to us. He maintains that he drove home what was really important to him. To quote two minimalists again, don't possess anything you cannot walk away from in 30 seconds flat, and don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. So allow me to leave you with a couple of challenging questions. Do you have possessions that absorb inordinate amount of energy, such as a stamp collection, a garden, or a car, and which take away from attention you should invest in people and relationships? Are there things in your closet or your house which you have not touched in three months or even longer? Would somebody else be blessed by you giving them this item? Do you have books, articles, or projects sitting on your desk which weigh you down since you have not gotten to them for months or even years? If your answer to any of these questions is the affirmative, maybe it is time to purge. Believe me, there's a minimalist waiting to be discovered in each one of us. This was Words That Change You with me, Martin Steinbreitner. It was produced by Fritz Lowy, Clementina Barvazon, and Jacob Duby Bear. 
If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, bye-bye.